Please listen carefully. And welcome in, everyone. You're tuned in to the Heard It Here podcast. As always, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm your host, Cooper Hurd. It was a rainy morning, but it has blossomed into a sunny afternoon here in the beautiful Spartanburg, South Carolina, a.k.a. the Berg, a.k.a. Sparkle City, a.k.a. Zion Williamson Town. Today... Got a great episode lined up for you. I'm going to be going all across the NBA. First, I'm going to be going through the Charlotte Hornets versus New Orleans Pelicans game that I was fortunate enough to attend with my family on Saturday night. New Orleans defeated Charlotte 115-110. to Unfortunately, it wasn't a particularly close game down the stretch, the last couple of minutes was not a competitive game, but it was tight throughout, and though Zion and Lonzo Ball were injured for the Pelicans, it was an exciting game, and it, it, it was one of, I believe it was the third NBA game I've attended, so there's a lot of observations I felt I had to share just about seeing NBA players live, some of the stuff you get to see when you're actually at the game, some of the stuff the camera doesn't necessarily show. I'll dig into that a little bit. Then I'm going to cover the games from this weekend, starting on Friday. Utah defeated Milwaukee 103 to 100. Denver over Philadelphia, 100-97. That was a really interesting game I definitely want to dive dive into. We'll talk about Embiid's performance. 19 points, 8 turnovers. Had a lot of positive production as well, but we'll go further into that later. No, no games really caught my eye on Saturday night. Uh, as for Sunday, though, there's Denver defeating... Minnesota, 100-98. There was the Bucks. Milwaukee defeated the Oklahoma City Thunder, 121-119. to A very strange ending. A very exciting ending. Very strange ending, though. Not a conventional close, close game. Um, I'll talk about that one for sure, though. Toronto. Defeated the Lakers, uh, 113 to 104. That's notable because that's only the second loss for the Lakers on the season. Shout out to Toronto. Uh, I thought that was very impressive, and I'm not shocked. Um, I, I, you know, I can't remember if I and how much I talked about the season opening game, uh, New Orleans versus the Raptors. I feel like I may have done a whole segment on it. I know I wrote a bunch of notes on it, but. Um, after that game, I came away thinking the Raptors really had a good chance to compete, not just 
with a team like New Orleans, but but some teams that would be contending in the playoffs. I, I saw them as a real legitimate threat to even teams that are winning 50-plus games. I am not surprised to see them win against the Lakers. I foresee them winning more games like this going forward. I don't expect them to win 60 games. Uh, probably 50 games is even a bit... Uh, it's, it's a bit optimistic, I would say. But I really like this team. I think Siakam is filled gracefully into the role of first option on offense, which I'm quite surprised by. I figured he would have good games and he would have off games. And I figured in general he would have good games against poor competition and off games against superior competition. However, it hasn't necessarily been the case. Um, obviously, defensively, he brings it every game. Offensively, he has been rather consistent, though. Not not that he's going to score as reliably on a possession-by-possession possession basis like Kawhi Leonard, but he has certainly been able to use, especially, his defensive talent to generate offense. That's always sort of been... The basis, that's been the root of where his points come from, is, is those transition buckets. And he, obviously, he's developed incredibly as a finisher at the rim. I talked about this with Mike Bassetti um, over a month ago. Uh, if you haven't listened to that, you should go back and listen to it. But, but Siakam has really developed at the rim. He's an impressive finisher. Uh, but he's he's he is also adapted to be able to score pretty effectively in the half court. So it's been really impressive to see. Uh, I'll have to go more in depth on him in the future. Last game on Sunday night though, Portland defeated Atlanta 124 to 113 in overtime. I was watching this game and just <laughs> was tired and decided to go to sleep. Um Unfortunately, so I missed the ending of this one, but it, 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 I heard it was an exciting finish. I, I obviously looked into it, uh, watched some of the highlights of it. it. It was it was an exciting game and a closer matchup than you may have expected going into it. But I will talk about those games. Monday night, we saw again Minnesota Timberwolves on a back to back de- defeat the Detroit Pistons. 120-114, effectively spoiling the return of Blake Griffin, who is returning after missing 10 games to start the season from what the team had been calling left hamstring and posterior knee soreness. He will be missing the upcoming game, I believe tonight, versus the Miami Heat, um, and most likely uh, sort of managing that injury. I almost said the term load management. It's managing that injury. So I, I think I'm, I'm taking a stand. I'm not going to use that term. If a guy wants to rest to manage an injury, I'm just going to say he's resting to manage an injury. That's all you need to say. You don't have to make up a new term for it. Yeah, so Blake Griffin returned. Played 24 minutes in this game. Uh, was 6-12 from the field, 6-8 of eight from the free throw line uh, for 19 points. Was able to rack up 7 assists, sorry, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, uh, 4 turnovers as well, and obviously 
only 24 minutes. Um, Andre Drummond also only played 29 minutes. Ended the game with five personal fouls. I, I would I would have to look through the game log, but I would imagine that uh, affected it somehow, at least his minutes distribution. Luke Kennard, 40 minutes in the game. Four for nine from, from three, 25 points. Uh, he's been impressive this season. He's another guy I might have to look into at some point. I think I'm going to start trying to do breakdowns on particular young guys in the NBA uh, as alongside some of the recruiting, not recruiting, uh, just NBA college prospect breakdowns I plan to do, uh, NBA draft prospect breakdowns. Um, so keep an eye out for that in the future. Uh, Minnesota wins that game, though. Blake Griffin's debut is ruined, unfortunately, at home, too. So brutal for those Detroit fans. But I'm sure they were glad to see Blake back and looking in pretty good form early, pretty early in the season. So uh, they have a, they are, they're four and seven, but I mean, they haven't had Blake Griffin, who is the catalyst of that offense. They certainly have a chance to go forward and make the playoffs in a very weak East. So we'll see how they go. Uh, we'll see how the season goes for them. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly pretty optimistic, and I hope their fans are as well. Uh, and at the very least, seeing a guy like Blake Griffin for the rest of the season should be very exciting. So that'll be fun to watch. Moving on, though, the other games on Monday. Memphis defeated San Antonio. The Spurs defeated on Tony Parker's jersey retirement night. Another spoiled game. On this Monday night, Memphis won 113 to 109. John Morant actually had a very poor, at least statistical performance. Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, Dylan Brooks, uh, Jonas Jonas Valanciunas, others were able to carry the load. Uh, It sounds John. I don't think I've watched more than like a quarter of of Grizzlies play so far this season, but it sounds like Jaw has been impressive so far. Um, that's good to hear. I think really what I ought to do is move into analysis just of these young guys because it, there really are so many that are performing well and there are just every team at this point has a couple of young guys outside of maybe the, you know exceptions like the Rockets and the Lakers, uh, these teams that are primed with veterans that are just ready to win championships now. And have sort of, sort of set aside future plans for short-term goals. Last last game though, I'm getting real sidetracked. I know Houston defeats New Orleans Pelicans down 122 to 116. Not really ever a close game though. Um, I, I believe Houston led by eight in the fourth, and the disparity never really shrunk from there. Uh, not until garbage time right right down at the end. Yeah, and then I'm going to end it. I am, as I said, I want to talk about some of these rookies. Some of them have been performing pretty well. We thought this might be a weak class, but we thought it might, you know, might might have a good, like, back end of rotation players and role players that have a chance at contributing I don't, I don't think we expected anyone to have 
have sort of the the, the instant success that Eric Peschal had or has had so far. Um, I don't know if that's particularly sustainable, but I like what he's shown, and I think he's certainly proven that uh, he's he's certainly out, proven to be better than his draft slot. Uh, it seems he he's already outperformed his draft slot. I would imagine. Uh, I'd say there's already been enough guys who have sort of proven stuff to that to that to that in that vein that it's worth discussing on the pod. So I'm going to talk about three rookies that have been pleasant surprises. Um, you know, even if these are guys that like I was high on prior to the draft, they have. <laughs> that's not a hint at all. Definitely not a hint about one uh, one man garbed in green. Shout out my boy Alfred. Uh, might know who I'm talking about right now. Anyone at SBC might know who I'm talking about right now. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about three of those guys. And then I am going to talk about three rookies who have had just an unfortunate start to the season. So um, whether it's the, the, the situation they've been drafted into or just their performance so far or whether it's injury-related just hasn't gotten off to a productive start to their NBA career, unfortunately. So I'm going to go ahead and hop into, first off, that Charlotte game that I attended Saturday night. I'm going to go ahead and slide into that. So the game was in Charlotte. So, uh, obviously, not much traffic getting in, uh, pretty easy, you know, actually, uh, you know, pretty good number of people at the game, um, as far as the stadium, obviously not anywhere near capacity, uh, I'd say maybe around half full, but that may have been at least to some degree due to this being the Pelicans, um, the Pelicans, I, I mean, we heard people around us talking. Um, I mean, the reason we had bought tickets to go to this game is because it was going to be Zion's first game in Charlotte. You know, it, it was just an, it, it was an opportunity to see Zion Williamson. That's That was the primary reason for getting tickets to this game. Uh, and they were not cheap because it was an opportunity to see Zion Williamson. I mean, it, was, it was certainly reminiscent of, you know... LeBron James coming through town. Not LeBron tickets to see LeBron are more expensive than tickets to see Zion, but it was certainly in that vein. But unfortunately, no Zion, uh, no Lonzo. As I mentioned, Zion was not at the game, or at the very least, we weren't able to spot him. Uh, I, I'm almost positive he was not there. Lonzo was there, um, although at first I saw Kimrich Williams. And was really shocked that Lonzo Ball had sort of gone through this transformation where he looked like he'd been in a coma for three months. um, And nobody had shaved his beard or head. And it had just all grown out. But then I realized that was Cambridge Williams. Because he, you know, doesn't really look that much like Lonzo Ball. And was playing. And has a different number. And has the name Williams on the back of his jersey. That actually really keyed me into it. Yeah. Uh, One of the most fun parts of the night, though, was getting to see 
So we got there pretty early. I want to say 45 to 50 minutes early. Um, JJ Redick was the only one out on the court still warming up. But fortunately, we were able to see him for, I want to say, five to eight minutes. He was just going through little shooting routines. He had like his one ball boy that was just the one guy that was passing to him because he was not just doing like sort of sitting there dribbling and taking a shot. He was doing specific it, it was clearly like a routine that he seemed i would imagine he does before every single game and it's done for a while where he does like three or four little runs of each drill it's not super hard but like it's a you know like if he, he had a couple where he's like doing running down to the three-point line like he's running you know in transition to catch a three and shoot i mean he's he, he was very deliberate in what he was doing and it was very so, uh, it, it was just such a privilege to be able to watch that. Um, I mean, just the intricacy of his routine and sort of trying to understand why he was doing what he was doing. I mean, he... And and, and, and we saw it in the game. Um, JJ had... I don't remember that. It was at least... Tw- it was over, over 20 points. He hit a bunch of jump shots. It just looked so easy. It just looks so easy in person. And on TV, it doesn't look particularly easy. But JJ and guys like that just make it look like nothing. And it's just so impressive. It's so impressive. Because I think, you know, anyone listening to this podcast probably knows and appreciates that it's not nothing. It, you know, it's 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 a very impressive feat to be able to hit those sorts of shots. Um, and another observation I had at the game... It's just they're hitting these shots so consistently. Almost every shot, even if it's like a quote-unquote open shot, you're getting contested, at least a little bit. Like even on a quote-unquote open shot, somebody is contesting late and like putting their hand in your face while you're trying to follow through. Like they are disrupting you every single time. Unless they're just, you know, nobody on your side of the court or it's just an open transition look. Like, the uh, most guys in the NBA can just cover an absurd amount of ground um, in an absurd amount of time, so that makes it hard to get off a true, you know, wide-open three-point shot. It, 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 and that, you know, it's something you don't really, or at least I never really appreciated, and I, I certainly appreciate it a lot more seeing it in person. A couple other observations I had, just once the team came out, uh, P.J. Washington, I guess I, I didn't realize he was 6'7". I mean, he looks 6'7". Um, he definitely does not look taller than that. And I sort of, because he, he was sort of, and I'd seen him, um, some film of him at Kentucky, and I knew he, he looked, you know, 6'9", maybe. Um, I knew he wasn't particularly tall as a power forward. Um, but I knew he was. He certainly had people that thought he would work well as a power forward, uh, who played a good amount of small ball center. Um, and I sort of just assumed he was taller. No, he's definitely six seven, and six seven is you know, I, I would say it's like, he he was about as tall as um, Miles Bridges. They, they 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 looked about the same height. They, they were pretty similar builds. Um, PJ is just. So thick, though. I mean, it, it. You know, I hate I because I I hate to make this comparison because it feels contrived um, because they do have the same name. But PJ Tucker 
is the guy that comes to mind just when you see the very the broad shoulders but it's not just broad shoulders it's actualized because they've packed on they they have just like you know wide chests they just have very stout frames um and, and i think pj already has a good idea of how to use that to his advantage we saw with pj tucker it took a while he had to go overseas um you know he was not a successful nba player until late until his 20s P.J., though, has a much re more refined offensive game already. He, he has pretty good touch, as I, as I saw in this game. We saw his opening game with the 7-9 uh, seven, seven from, from three-point range. He has uh, just a much more already actualized offensive game, which is why he was uh, picked number 12 overall and will likely not be spending much time in Europe except for on vacation. Uh, yeah. But moving on, Cody and Caleb Martin, it was awesome to see them, the twins at Nevada. Remember them from their NCAA tournament performance. They are just such an electric pair. Uh, unfortunately, Caleb did not play in this game, but Cody played, I believe, it must have been at least 12 to 15 minutes. I mean, he, he got real rotation minutes, and he was productive. Uh, it was fun to see. Those two look so... I, I'm sure... Um, like, I'm sure their mom can tell them apart, no problem. I could not tell them apart. They just... Like, they obviously, they've got the same hairdo, and they've got the same general they look like twins duh but their builds are the exact same too like they've got to be the same height down to a tenth of an inch um not just very hard to tell them apart other than which one was playing or not uh it's so cool to see them though and cody had i thought a really good game Last guy though, the on the Hornets. I, I just I, it took me a while to pick out Devonte Graham. Um, just I, I didn't recognize him without the hair. Uh, anyone that saw him at Kansas, and I thought I thought he maybe had it last year with the Hornets too. He had this just this awesome hair um, that is now more subdued. I mean, it's still I don't know he's still he's still so cool, and had himself a heck of a game um, coming off the bench. He was probably the Hornets' most valuable player in this game. Yeah, I just I didn't recognize him, though, just in the shoot-arounds. Once I came over to the bench before the game to introduce people, like, I could tell because, you know, like, I could see his face then, but when I couldn't really m make him out. And I, I, actually, the other thing is he was taller than I expected. I sort of thought he would stand out be by being a little diminutive he was pretty like he has to be at least 6263 and like a real 6263 um and i mean he's he's not he's not skinny either he's he's not you know big he's no raymond felton but he is i mean he he looks like a solid sized guard um to the point where playing terry rogier and Devonte graham is a feasible pairing, which they did plenty in this game. And it's it's not like the Pelicans had any shooting guards that were particularly going to exploit that. Um, they were playing Drew Holiday, um, but the shooting guard was generally either Josh Hart, 
um, Etwan Moore or Nikhil Alexander Walker. But so uh, just not, not exactly the most dynamic, versatile, off the dribble threats. Uh, though though Etwan Moore did have a he had a few buckets in this game. I mean, Josh Hart played well too, but he he's just not necessarily a you know a bucket getter. He's not gonna go iso create and get his shot off. Um, overall, though, let's talk about the game itself. Maybe, yeah. So early on, uh, biggest thing that really caught my eye: JJ Redick got an early tech. Um, ref gave him a quick tee. After he made a little comment back to the ref, he uh, had just got called for stepping uh, on the line out of bounds on a three-point shot. Uh, well, we're pretty sure he was thinking maybe he was mad about the previous play, though, where he had driven into the paint and uh, gotten some drawn some contact and not had got not gotten the foul call. Thinking maybe that's what he was complaining about. Uh, whatever, though. Uh, Brandon Ingram, though, also had two early, uh, it, like, it, within the first quarter, uh, three-second calls on defense. Um, <laughs> we're almost positive it was a sort of misunderstanding with the retro court. So I don't know if you all have seen the retro Hornets court. Uh, you might want to might want to look it up. I mean, it is pretty cool, I, I think, um, with the honeycomb design and all. But the paint is just kind of very strangely shaded, and it was a little bit difficult for, uh, I think, I think Ingram just misinterpreted th the paint, um, and he thought he was getting outside the paint when really he was still in, <laughs> he was still in it. Um, so he, he got, like, two... Of those, so the Pelicans actually drew like three technicals within the first quarter, um, if I'm not mistaken. Which I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that that really happens in any game. That might be something worth checking out. That might be in the record books right there. Uh, that's kind of crazy. But Brandon Ingram, um, like we saw a ref come up and talk to him afterwards after the second one, so we think he was like explaining it to him, and then it didn't happen again. So. We're thinking he just like couldn't tell, and, and sort of looking at the court, it makes sense. I could totally see how you would miss how, how the paint might seem misrepresented from a certain point of view. Uh, as for the the rest of the game, though, early Pels made some threes. Uh, no one in particular, just sort of spreading the ball around. You know, Kenrich Williams hit a couple of threes that he had. Josh Hart hit his couple of threes. Brandon Ingram hit a few threes. Brandon Ingram uh, was definitely the best player in this game. He looked very good. Um, and just seeing him in person, too, just as an aside, it's very clear to see why this guy was coveted as a draft prospect and um, went, went as high as number two and even had some people calling for him to go number one over Ben Simmons. He's got the... He's got such a slender, still such a slender frame. And I don't know if he'll ever really be able to put on a ton of muscle. But he is able to score at such an in such an impressive variety of ways. Um, and so I think the fact that he's able to score as an on-ball guy effectively 
at his height and his his size, his length, I mean, that's that's just very tantalizing. Um, that in of itself, I, I sort of was under the impression he was more reliant on his mid-range shot. Maybe it was sort of a matchup thing where he was just able to get to the rim better against this team. I mean, certainly P.J. Tucker, Miles Bridges, who guarded him on a few plays, are not the most experienced players on defense in the world, but they, they, they're no pushovers. I, I thought Brandon Ingram played very well, and I think it was a him thing. I think he's just definitely taken a step forward this season in his progression as a player. J.J. Redick missed his first few shots in this game. They, they, I, I, every single shot J.J. takes looks good in person. Like, I just assume every single one's going in. But his first few ones sort of clanked. And early on, sort of a, just a tight, you know, not not really. It was, pretty, it was a pretty exciting game early on. Um, Devontae Graham came in like halfway through the first quarter, maybe like four minutes left. Uh, he was electric. He was the Hornets' best player, not really even close. But he was just so exciting, too. And the crowd loved him. The crowd loved him. Um, there was this one heckler, like, 10 rows behind me, like, 15 to the left, that just kept, I mean, he was just yelling some obnoxious stuff. Uh, it was it was kind of funny, like, the first time or two, but just, like, throughout, he kept yelling this one phrase, like, play talent, not contracts. So I assume he's, like, a heavy NBA Reddit user. And probably, probably a Rockets fan. I don't know. That seems like some Rockets fan stuff. Yeah. No, nah, that was obnoxious though. But he was um, real excited to cheer for Devontae Graham to come in the game. Um, at the start, when Terry was in, he was yelling for Devontae the whole time. The guy behind me was also super excited when Devontae got in. Everyone just seemed like really excited for Devontae Graham. Which, half, that's kind of sad that, like, he's the most exciting thing that the Hornets have. But, I mean, he was really cool. I mean, he was really awesome. Like, he, he played very well. And he, he did it in an exciting fashion. Which, you know what? That doesn't happen very often in Charlotte. Especially now that Kemba's gone. Cherish it while it's here. Uh, that's what I'm going to say. Uh, PJ, I thought, was solid. I talked earlier, I thought his touch on offense uh, looks really good. Not really good. I think it looks pretty good. Um, for a guy with his, as I, get, as I said, you know, stature and defensive potential uh, with that wingspan, I thought his, his touch looked um, above average for someone of his defensive potential. Um, the highlight of the game, though, really the, <laughs> the primary value of your ticket about halfway through the second quarter, probably the highlight play of Malik Monk's career, highlight play of Devontae Graham's career. He threw, Devontae Graham um, running the fast break, the two-on-one. Malik Monk coming up the left side a little bit ahead of him. Uh, Devontae starts to throw the alley-oop pass. I want to say a little past, a little before the three-point line. Malik Monk's going full speed. He's sprinting towards the rim. He leaps up, grabs it, and just throws it down. Most electric play of the game. So exciting. I was up out of my seat. Everyone was up. The, the crowd 
had been just silent up until that point. The crowd loses its mind. Everybody was into the game at that point. I would highly recommend it. I, I'll try to tweet out the clip, but I'm sure y'all could just look it up. Just Devontae Graham alley-oop or Malik Monk alley-oop, and you'll find it. It was awesome, though. And the best part was it was followed up. Um, the, the Hornets got a stop on defense, come down the next play, uh, transition dunk by Cody Martin. Hornets up 61-55 to at halftime, um, and they played well. I was very impressed by how the team looked. They certainly looked like they deserved a 4-4 four four record. Uh, although their net rating numbers, I believe they're like bottom five in offensive and defensive net ratings, or at least were prior to the Pelicans game. Um, so that does not that does not scream four and four record. But hey, I mean they had and, and I said this before um, the season. I remember seeing a tweet about like you know how many games will the Hornets win? It was like thirty three percent voted under seventeen. It's like under seven. We've seen I want to say it was less than five teams in the the decade win less than seventeen games. That is just insane. That is not going to happen. This team has talent. Yes, the talent is overpaid. The talent is sort of scattered. It has no long-term clear vision. The ownership sucks. I get it. This team has enough talent to win enough games. And they're not tanking. Like, at least not hard. Because the ownership sucks, and they don't understand the concept of tanking. I should hey intern, can you edit that out so I can get um, an internship for the Hornets someday? Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, fictional intern. Um, rest of the game, though, after the second half, I thought Ingram uh, and especially J.J. Redick really stepped their games up. J.J., as I said, finished the game with 20-something points. Uh, he was just hitting all his points. I mean, it's just, as I said, it looks so simple. It looks so easy. They were not running super complex motions for him. They were mostly just uh, dribble handoffs with various big men. It, it was just easy. It was just easy. He just came around the screen, uh, had his sort of follow-through forward. It just looked like he was placing the ball into the into the basket. It was just incredible to watch him shoot. Um, Drew put some buckets in too. My dad made the comment, Drew Holiday looks like he never sweats. Like he's in the fourth quarter and he still looks totally refreshed. And he's right. That guy is just, and you can imagine um, how he was in that series versus the Trailblazers. We saw it. He was just smothering on uh, Dame and to some extent CJ. And it was all game, all series. Four games straight. Drew has that stamina to just overwhelm players. And that's a deceptive thing. And it, it's not, he's not, you know, he's he's not some, you know, huge, crafty, um, sort of showboaty, flashy player on offense or on defense for that matter. So he's just sort of flown under the radar for his whole career. You know, his only all-star appearance was like, I want to say seven or eight years ago, back when he was in Philadelphia, uh, before he was traded for the, the number six overall pick that became Nerland's Noel uh, for the 76ers. 
just fun to see Drew Holiday, though. He's a really fun player to have uh, on your team. Really fun player to watch. Just such a – he needs to be on – so I hope I hope these Pelicans stay on this path and they're contending in the next couple of years because he needs to be on a contender. And he needs to be on a contender soon because I, I think that's – he's just the type of player that belongs in the playoffs and deep in the playoffs. That's what his game is suited for. Uh, as for the close of this game, it was not, as I mentioned, a close game at the end, but, um, it was tied up 95 to 95 with 520 left to go in the game. Uh, as I mentioned, it had been close throughout. The teams were pretty even, um, no real point at which a team made a major run. I don't think they were probably, I, I should have checked the ESPN, uh, little thing, but I, I don't think anyone ever was above 10, points in terms of uh, point disparity. 95-95 left, though. Josh Hart hits a three. Hornets miss. And then the Pelicans go down, miss a shot, get the offensive rebound. Miss a shot, get the offensive rebound. Miss a shot, get the offensive rebound. And they do this, and the Pelicans get five offensive rebounds. It was excruciating. It was to the point where, and this was, I got to say, really shameful. I'm not like a Hornets fan. If anything, I'm more of a Pelicans fan because of Zion. But the Hornets fans started booing after the fourth or fifth offensive rebound by the Pelicans, which it was like a three-point game with four minutes left. Like, there is no reason to do that. It was absurd and I was I was kind of blown away by it and I, I think it killed some of the momentum I mean if I was the Hornets and I heard that I would be like you know F these guys are you, are you kidding me like this is a close game like we you know we don't have you know all these draft picks we're out here scrapping and clawing you're booing us after you come out here and just you know talk all game you're not even cheering us on or trying on defense to back us up. Come on. I thought it was pretty insane. I thought it was very disrespectful. Um, and just overall, the crowd, the atmosphere, very, very mild, very meek. Um, it, I, I made the comment, it felt like a baseball game where 90% of the people there either didn't care about baseball or didn't care about the Hornets in the slightest. Um, and to be fair, I think most people had expected to see Zion at this game and, and had paid a lot of money um, and were very disappointed. But that's there's, there's just still, there's you would never go to a game in Portland and see this. You would never go to a game in the Garden and see this. Never. They're always loud. Because if you go to those games, you're supporting the team because you care about the team, at least to some extent. And if you don't, well, just cheer anyways, because that's what's cool. That's what everyone else does. Um, that was kind of disappointing. Whatever, though. Whatever. Uh, I don't want to get too into that. After that, though, after the five offensive rebounds, uh, we saw miss on, misses on both sides, and then Ingram hit a three, followed by Hornets miss and another Ingram layup. Uh, Bridges hits a layup, but on the other side, the Pelicans were able to run a pretty nice set and get Kenrich Williams and open three on the wing. 
um, which put the Hornets up 106 to 97 with 213 remaining, and that was that was game right there. I mean, the Hornets kind of brought it back towards the end, but I, it was it was never really close. Um, Terry Rozier sort of chucked their chances away. After that, uh, unfortunately, probably should have, and I think Devontae maybe had a shot or two, but probably should have considered your other point guard options. That's too bad. It's too bad. Too bad there's no amnesty rule. We should look into bringing that back. Let me move on before I say anything too disrespectful. So I went a little longer um, than I was accounting for on this last section. So I'm going to go ahead and cut out these games that I, I didn't really dig into. So I'm just going to go over the few games that I thought were really worth diving into this weekend. First was that Denver over Philadelphia game. Um, as I mentioned, Joel Embiid, 19 points. Um, that was on 6-17 shooting from the field. 2-4 uh, from 3 and 5 of 7 free throw shooting, so uncharacteristic night from him um, up against Nikola Jokic. Eight turnovers for Embiid, 15 rebounds, two assists, one block, a uh, negative 10 in the box score. Um, Joel Embiid only played 29 minutes in the game. He did foul out eventually. I mean, fouled out with... 0.9 seconds left in the game, but but he did have to sit throughout the game to sort of manage those the foul trouble, hence the 29 minutes of play. There was a just really, really awesome se sequence where Embiid, uh, on offense, gets blocked by Jokic, gets an offensive rebound, goes up, misses it, offensive rebound uh, by Embiid, Goes up, misses it. Offensive rebound by Embiid. Goes up. Millsap blocks it. Denver gets the ball. Takes it down in transition. Millsap is going down for a dunk on the other end. And Embiid just shows up and swats it away. And gets, a, uh, gets it for a fast break, which Philly was able to convert on the other side. Just awesome to see from Embiid. He, he's always had... You know, just that, that and he has that star factor, that electric, that, that electricity in his game. He knows how to make the plays at the right time to get the crowd on its feet. He knows how to get everybody into the game. He knows how to get everybody on his team behind him. He just knows how to rally the troops. And it's so impressive. And he is so impressive. Uh, that sequence just shows you what Embiid is all about. He he has his flaws. He can be f too fiery, um, but he, golly, is he resilient. There, there. I mean, there are not that many people more resilient than him um, in the NBA and in the world. Um, so, respect to him. Uh, interesting, though, to note the flow of this game. Um, so the Sixers were up 57-42 to 42 at halftime after holding Denver to 18 in the first quarter and 24 in the second quarter. Um, the Nuggets 
were able to bring it back to within six uh, it w in the third quarter. Um, however, the um, the Sixers were then able to pull away again. They brought it back to almost it was a 19 point lead going into the fourth quarter, and then the Nuggets brought it back again. Jokic hit a bunch of big shots. Hit one three off a Millsap pass. Um, Philly side though, uh, I thought Raul Neto. Backup point guard, uh, came over from the Utah Jazz, played really well this game, uh, had a couple of shots in the fourth quarter to try to stave off the Denver comeback when no one could really seem to hit. Just overall, though, had an impressive control of the offense, and his personal scoring was quite impressive as well. Had one just incredibly acrobatic finish at the rim. So this was a great win for Denver to come back. They held Philadelphia to 13 points in that fourth quarter. So when I say Raul Neto uh, hit a couple of shots, he had five points, hit a three and a two. That was almost that was like close to half their points because uh, they had 13 points in the fourth quarter. Denver themselves scored 35 points. So uh, incredible comeback, uh, very impressive showing by Denver. Philadelphia played very uh, very well. As well, just until that fourth quarter, they could not withstand the barrage. Joel Embiid simply just—it was just—it was just a rough game. It was just kind of a all-around collapse. You can't really point to one thing in particular. Um, honestly, it was—it was more of just Denver starting to score and Philly not really having a spark on offense. So once Denver got going and they got their confidence and they just seemed energized, Philadelphia seemed to have nowhere to go. There was nowhere to exploit on in Denver's defense. And Philly is just not a team, without. now that they don't have Jimmy Butler, they're not a team that's going to win in a one-on-one -on -one even matchup. Just go in and score against the guy defending you straight up most of the time. Jimmy Butler could do that pretty well, you know. He's a solid get you a bucket guy. Joel Embiid can usually get you a bucket, but it's just it's not the same. He can't. He I mean, and he couldn't do it this game. So there's, I think it's more of a game to game basis uh, for a, a a big like him. Um, it, it just wasn't happening this game. I think you got to give most of the credit to Denver though. Obviously, anytime you have a 21, 20, sorry, 22 point disparity in a quarter you can probably you know attribute uh, blame to both sides in terms of you know how it got that wide but I would say you know blame Denver mostly you know in terms of uh, give them credit for putting up those points and making the disparity so wide so that was a very exciting game. Definitely the marquee game of the weekend. Talk about a couple of these other games, though. Just going to kind of gloss over um, first that Utah victory over the Bucks. The Bucks were held to, uh, so they scored 16 in the first quarter, 19 in the second quarter. So very slow start offensively. The Utah Jazz had put up 55, so they were already down 20 points going into the second half. 
However, the Bucks had a huge third quarter, uh, 39 points, mostly fueled by Giannis Antetokounmpo, who, if I calculated this correctly, um, put up 23 points on his own in the quarter. So that uh, brought the Bucks back into contention. Utah was able to hold them off down the stretch, though, and pulled that game out. Going to go ahead and talk about this next game. Last game I'm going to cover is the Portland versus Atlanta game uh, that went to overtime that Portland pulled out uh, 124 to 113 in the end. This was the fourth game that Trey Young had come back uh, from that ankle sprain. He'd only missed one game, but it was pretty concerning at the time. And I think we'd been expecting maybe a uh, longer absence or at least some rest in the future. Um, he has played well since he came back. Had that one dud versus Chicago, um, where he only put up nine points uh, after shooting 0 of 8 from 3. Um, had, uh, other than that though, two really good nights. Um, and this Sunday night was certainly no exception. Um, in 43 minutes... He put up 35 points, did Trey Young, and 10 assists. Um, also put up 8 rebounds. Um, his shooting splits, very interesting. 9 of 30 from the field. 30% uh, shooting. It's almost Harden-esque. And 3 of 13 from 3, also Harden-esque. Uh, a 23.1% 3-point shooting right there. Um, but all, did hit 14 of 17 at the line. This is certainly a, an exception standing out from the rest of his games. 17 is a lot of free throws. But Trey has certainly shown a predilection for high free throw games and maybe not the highest efficiency from the field uh, at times. He's had two other games this season where he's gotten over 10 free throw attempts and he went 10-12 uh, and 9-10 of 10 in those games. He, he has also had three games now of shooting under 40% from the field, uh, including that nine-point game that I mentioned earlier, but a 25-point game where he went 7 of 20 from the field. Um, I mean, it's just, I, I think you, you kind of get that with Trey. I think he's not always going to be efficient in every area of the game, but he will find his ways to be efficient in one way or another, whether he's hitting his threes or whether he is not hitting his threes and he needs to get to the free throw line more, or whether he needs to sort of create for others more, and that's how he's going to get open. You know, he'll just have a higher assist night. Um, he has a lot of flexibility in the way he and his team can succeed, which is very promising um, and, and part of the intrigue with him. So he was electric in this game, though. He was, he was just super dynamic. 35 points, as I mentioned, on those weird shooting splits. Three steals also. Did put up seven turnovers. And he's been averaging close to five turnovers a game now this season. This is his second. Uh, he also had seven turnovers earlier in the season against Philadelphia. Um, that's fine, though. You see that with rookie point guards. And one that's putting up, I mean, Trey is averaging. I think he might be averaging double-digit assists at this point. Um, if And if not, it's probably mostly because of that uh, Miami game. He only played 11 minutes, the one in which he sprained his ankle. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not... 
I'm not particularly worried about the turnovers, that's for sure. Um, it's more of an indication that he is making exploratory passes and um, just being adventurous in his development, which is and being creative, which you want to see. Um, that's that's exactly what you want to see from a, a primary ball handler. So overall, though, this game, uh, Rodney Hood was out for the Trailblazers, so Mario Hazonia was starting in his stead. Not, not like he had a particularly notable performance, just. Just, just worth noting, I guess. I mean, it was it was Damon McCollum though. Damon McCollum, you know, Damon CJ just sort of brought it home. Uh, Scal's been in the rotation for the Blazers uh, since since Zach Collins has gone down with his injury. Hasn't particularly been producing, but ha has been interesting to see. And it looks like the Trailblazers have also signed Moses Brown. Uh, who's an undrafted guy out of UCLA, who is like a 7'1", 250-pound center, who looks like Hakeem Olajuwon or Patrick Ewing, or just, he, he looks like a top-five draft pick, uh, just with his body and his frame. Um, not particularly the game of those guys, though. Does not have uh, anywhere near the touch that it takes to be a solid NBA player, um, at least not at this point in his career. Um, that's cool to see, though, that he has uh, gotten a spot on that team. He came out as a freshman. He was a five-star, but, I mean, his draft prospects, I can't imagine, were great. But, hey, I guess that's interesting to see that he's here and not overseas somewhere. He, he's he's sticking around. He's, he's found a team. Uh, well, we'll see if he... Gets any actual playing time. He didn't play at all in this game, but just thought I'd mention that since he is a guy that I scouted a little bit uh, since he was in the last 19 draft. Um, I think that's about it for this game. Uh, and, and, oh, actually, last thing. Anthony Simons. Anthony Simons is a killer. Anthony Simons is incredible, okay? That guy is so awesome. I wish I had watched him in high school, like his tape. He just wasn't a guy I ever scouted, but I mean, he's, I, I'll have to go back and watch him sometime. I imagine some of this is here, uh, some of this is, is there, sorry. He is just, he's one of those guys that's a really athletic shot maker, so like, when he makes his shots, they look really exciting, because he just like, bursts off the ground and like, slings the ball up, and the sling does not give it the grace that it deserves, but I hope, I hope that gives the right picture. Um, I, I am just so impressed with Anthony Simons. His his drive, like, his inside game has been impressive. Um, I mean, he's more of a scoring guard than a point guard, per se. Haven't really seen him do anything like that. But as far as a scorer, like, he's ready to be out there shooting threes. And he's shooting, like... So he had the shot... Uh, uh, he, uh, he had the shot in the, the game versus Philly... Which, oh, okay, so I couldn't think of it because they lost. But he, at the end of the game, uh, Dame drove to the lane, kicked it out to Anthony Simons in the corner. He hits just a dagger three to put the Trailblazers up two over the Sixers with, like, I, I, it was maybe, like, a couple seconds to go. I, I, I think it was, like, two seconds to go. Um, but then Furknam Korkmaz hit a game-winning three on the other side. 
to win it. So it's it, I mean it sort of slipped my mind just because it wasn't a true game winner, but a a a you know a de facto game winner by Anthony Simons that I I was just very impressed with his poise. Like I think he's just um, a natural born shooter. Like like he's he he's gonna make shots in the clutch. He's gonna make shots in the fourth quarter. Um, I have no doubt in that. So I am ready to see him play in big games. Awesome to see that. Hopefully Portland can really rally this team. Hopefully um, as Nurkic and even Collins come back later in the season, they can really bolster this sort of just bolster this team and make a run in the playoffs. Um, I, I think they have the talent. Last year was probably a fluke to some extent. But, I mean, you have to give them credit for winning two Game 7s to get there. I mean, that's... Call it a fluke if you want, but... It's, it's very impressive. Uh, well, sorry. They, 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 I guess they won in six against the Thunder. But, I mean, with that the shot by Dame to close the Thunder. And, I mean, golly, just, yeah, just think of that. I, I am just... I am very excited about the prospects of this Portland team in a much more wide-open NBA. Um... I think they're one of the teams that was sort of a level below the contenders of the last few years with the Warriors era. Um, they were just never going to match up with that style of play. This, this, this era, though, this era is defined by playing to your strengths, having the most elite strengths, and minimizing your weaknesses to the best ability possible. You can play with a unique style as long as you can maximize your strengths and minimize your weaknesses. Best style? There is no best style at this point. Um, I, I think we've seen that this sort of style that the Warriors played is sort of a, an ideal game-breaking style. But you know what? you got to have a ton of talented players to do it. It's really difficult to do it. You kind of have to just have the best team. <laughs> and not everyone's going to have that sort of talent. Um, and, and most of the time, nobody has that much talent. So most of the time, you can play um, and win in a variety of ways, which I think is what we're going to see. We're going to see it with the Philadelphia 76ers um, being a defensive juggernaut and just smothering teams. We're going to see it with the Trailblazers when they're going to have Hassan Whiteside, Yusuf Nurkic, and Zach Collins all playing big minutes. We're going to see it with um, the Denver Nuggets, with Nikola Jokic running the point at center. There's just so many different teams playing so many different ways. All of these teams have what it takes. It's just a matter of whether they can maximize their advantages, minimize their strengths, and then get really lucky. Because most of the time, it takes a lot of luck to win a title, um, even to make it far in the playoffs. So that's about all I've got on these games. Uh, let's transition now into the final segment of tonight's show the rookies too complex too complex much too complex too complex too too, too so, complex we're into the part of the podcast where we're going to do a little discussion about the rookies now um always sort of enjoy talking about the younger guys prospects there's some guys that really stood out to me this year already as being breakout candidates and i think number 1 you have to point to undrafted rookie who played with the Santa Cruz Warriors last year, Kendrick Nunn, shooting guard of the Miami Heat. 
Uh, none originally came out of Simeon Academy High School. Uh, that, that's the same high school located in Illinois that Jabari Parker and Derek Rose attended, uh, among others. Kendrick Nunn spent three years at Illinois University before eventually being kicked off after a misdemeanor battery charge, which he pled guilty to. Um, during his time at Illinois, his point totals rose pretty significantly all three years, uh, from 6.2 to 11.1 to 15.5 his junior year. Um, for his senior year, he transferred to Oakland, uh, was forced to sit out a year, but played the 2017-18 season for Oakland, uh, where he in the Horizon League, where he led the NCAA in three-pointers made per game with 4.47, uh, and was actually second in the NCAA in points per game behind Trey Young. So a very impressive showing by him. Was undrafted, though, not particularly surprising. I don't even think he was really on... I, I think he was, you know, considered a possible second-round guy. I think he was expected to go undrafted, though, um, especially given his previous concerns with that uh, misdemeanor. Kendrick Nunn, though, signed an Exhibit 10 contract with the Warriors, which is a partially guaranteed contract that has some language in it that um, if the player is cut... They receive, I believe it's $50,000 if they sign and play with the team's G League affiliate for um, a month. So Kendrick Nunn was cut by the Warriors and signed to that G League affiliate, the Santa Cruz Warriors. Uh, he was added as their sixth man. He played 49 games for them and only managed one start, um, despite averaging 29 minutes a game. So... Clearly a bit of a super sixth man towards the end at points there. Um, his, his stat totals on the year shot 47.3%, uh, as well as 33.5% from three. Uh, that was on 5.1 attempts, so definitely getting his attempts up, but clearly not nearly as efficient as a three-point shooter as he was in college, which, for reference, I mentioned the um, numbers his senior year, but... He was a, a career 38% shooter in college, and his last two years he shot 39% while taking um, his junior year seven attempts, and his senior year he took 11.3 attempts a game, uh, shooting almost 40%. And his free throw numbers, he was always a consistent around 80% guy, so that 33-34% number is probably not too far off. You probably would peg none as more of a 37% shooter, uh, for his career averages, so, uh, and I think his NBA numbers have started to bear that out to an extent. Uh, his free throw numbers in the G League, 86%, you know, pretty impressive in its own right. And he, he, he put up a good three assists or so per game. That was something I noticed in his college numbers. He was not an assist guy early on, but in his year at Oakland, um, where he was clearly by far the most talented guy on the team, he was handed more of the keys to the offense, and certainly got some more passing into his arsenal. Though that hasn't really been much of his NBA game, to be sure. Speaking of his NBA game, though, um, Kendrick Nunn is now 10 games into his season. The most impressive thing has just been the scoring numbers. Nunn hasn't particularly been creating that much on his own. A lot of it is as a play finisher, but he has shown himself to be quite adept at finishing those plays. Most of Nunn's shots have come from two pretty distinct ranges. 
Um, the first, within the restricted area, Nunn is shooting 61.4% uh, on 44 attempts. So pretty effective there. A and he's also shooting, he's had 39 attempts on above the break threes so far, shooting 41% on those. So a very impressive number, um, and that is obviously a very valuable area of the floor to be able to shoot consistently from. Overall, he's shooting 38.3% on the year uh, from three and 48, 44.8% from the field overall. It is worth noting, though, that his biggest games came earlier in the season. He did have a 20-point outing, um, I believe that was a couple of nights ago, against Detroit in 36 minutes. But other than that, before that, his, his first five games, he was averaging around 20 points. So he had 24, 18, 25, 17, 28. Then followed that up with the back half of the 10-game stretch, playing a pretty similar amount of minutes. Um, this first game, he only played 19 uh, 5 points, 11, 11, 10, and then 20 points. Uh, so his scoring has quite clearly fallen off. Um, I don't think that's much of a surprise, though. We, I, I think the biggest thing to note, though, as a positive sign of Nunn's progress this year and the production he's already put up is the fact that Dion Waiters has not been playing on the team. Um, obviously, now there are some extenuating circumstances, to put it lightly, um, that that may, that may be keeping him out a little longer, but I mean the reason he hadn't been playing, I'm sure part of it was the conduct detrimental of the team, but it's also because Nunn has filled in his minutes very effectively. I I, I can imagine if they did not have Kendrick Nunn and Tyler Hero, to be fair, um, he's provided a lot in those minutes as well. But if they didn't have either of those guys, I bet you they would have been a little more lenient with Waiters early on in the season. Just a hunch. Um, Nunn has been very impressive though especially just as an undrafted guy. I, I think some people after last season in Santa Cruz maybe saw him as a borderline NBA player, but nobody expected him to vault into clear rotation status this quickly. It's been very impressive by him. He is 24 years old, so not exactly a spring chicken, but uh, at, at age 24 still has plenty of time to establish himself in the league. Could easily be... Um, I don't know that I ever see him being a high-level starter, but I could see him being a, you know, fourth or fifth best starter on a playoff team. Maybe maybe a solid sixth man coming off the bench and lighting it up for you. Sort of the Dion Waiters role that uh, he used to have. Um, I, I think Nunn might be, at this point in his career, a little more suited to come in and fill a role more than Dion Waiters was. Probably helps Nunn went undrafted. Dion Waiters, fourth overall pick. Uh, just those expectations are a little different, but I, I certainly think Nunn has carved out a role for himself. Um, I mean, he's dependent on making his shots, but he has certainly proven throughout his career to be a shot maker. So um, I, I'm pretty confident that this is somewhat sustainable. I'm more of a believer that he's going to follow the second half um, of these games, more more in 11 a 15-point scorer who occasionally has a 20 to 25-point night, um, as opposed to a game-in, game-out 20-point scorer. Perhaps he could develop into that, though. I, I'm not. I, I would certainly. I, I could see it coming. I could see it coming. Yeah, but Kendrick Nunn. I've I've been impressed by him. He's definitely been one of the surprising guys this year. Uh, I think anyone 
I, I don't think that anyone would disagree with that. Next guy on my list, though, going to move on, talk about one of the Golden State Warriors rookies, Eric Pichal. So Eric, uh, originally from New York, uh, played high school ball at Dobbs Ferry before transferring down to St. Thomas More in Connecticut for his senior year of play. Uh, was player of the year and AAA ball there. Committed to Fordham University, um, where he played for one year uh, before transferring to Villanova under Jay Wright. Uh, played four years at Villanova after sitting out that one uh, per transfer. Sorry, three years at Villanova after sitting out one year per transfer rules. Um, so that, that year he sat out, actually, was the 2015-16 title, which many of you may remember as the first title for Villanova. So that was the year where Ryan Archie Diacono had the pass to Chris Jenkins uh, for the game winner. Uh, totally, totally taking the sails, uh, totally taking the wind out of the sails of North Carolina guard. His page uh, hit one of the most incredible shots you'll ever see uh, in a tournament game. Uh, I mean, a final game to be sure. Um, just like an inbounded corner three. If y'all haven't seen that recently, or if you didn't get the chance to watch it live, you should definitely go watch the end of the 15-16 uh, Villanova versus UNC national championship game. That I mean, it's it, it, it's 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 uh, one of the greatest games I've ever seen, to be sure. But he so Pashal was on the roster for that team. Got to watch from the bench though, as he was sitting out per transfer rules. Uh, was able to start though. Um, his his second year for the team was the second title um, in three years in the 2017-18 season, alongside Mikhail Bridges. Uh, Pashal was there for that title. So Pashal played uh, three years, including um, one title. He was drafted in this previous 2019 draft, 41st overall. It was a little lower than um, I was expecting to be sure. I saw him personally more as a um, a player to be drafted at some point in the 20s. Um, I, I certainly thought 41 was a little too low for him. And although I don't think you can give me too much credit for predicting the scoring outbursts he's had so far, um, I think he's borne that out. I, I think he's certainly proven to be a clear rotation player in the league, uh, hopefully for a while down the road. So, Pashal is 23 years old, uh, as I mentioned, was in college five years, um, but just turned 23 uh, about a week ago, actually. Some of y'all may know this, but his birthday was November 4th. They happened to have a game against the Portland Trailblazers that night, and Eric Pashal happened to put up 34 points as a second-round pick on his birthday. So that was, you have to imagine, a ton of fun. Uh, 11 for 19 from the field that game, 4-6 from 3. Uh, also had 13 rebounds. So it was a, just a heck of a night for him. Uh, his name was all over the place after that. Other than that game, though, his, his scoring has been more muted, to be certain. But he's, he's found a place in the rotation as one of Golden State's most important players, which, to be fair may not mean a whole lot right now, but I, I think he has certainly proven that what he's doing would translate to most teams. Um, Pashal is 
a very wide player. I, I talked about P.J. Washington earlier in the podcast. He's got that sort of body where he's just thick, like got a big old neck. Uh, he looks kind of like like a linebacker, just, you know, four or five inches taller. He's, he's just an impressive guy. Such a good character, though. That's, that's like the number one thing that everyone talks about with Pashal. I mean, even if he wasn't carving out this spot in the rotation, he'd probably still be worth the draft pick just from what he brings to the locker room. Pashal is a guy, uh, he put, played AAU ball with Donovan Mitchell when they were younger. So, obviously, Mitchell's a slightly bigger name in the league at this point. But we've got to hear kind of from him, uh, hear him talk about his friend Pashal which that's just been awesome to hear. Um, obviously, that those two have a really good, close relationship. Um, and Pashal has just been an amazing teammate. Um, and I think he's shown a lot on the on the floor, on the court as well. Um, he's not necessarily a defensive monster, but will hold up on that end. Um, I don't know if he'll ever really be like an ISO defender on threes or even like... Um, fours like Giannis. Giannis isn't really a fair comparison, but guys that are uh, more ball... So maybe Blake Griffin would be a comparison, just um, ball handling, uh, offensive tilted fours. I don't know if he's really... He's not ever shutting those guys down, I don't think. But um, the, the, So I think just given that he was drafted to the Warriors, there were a lot of Draymond Green comparisons. That's just inane. Um, that's just not the right way to see it. He's not that type of player. Um, and he just, he most like, it, it, I, I don't think anyone will ever be that type of player. So very hard to count on a rookie being that type of player, but, but Pichal just has a different type of game. He is, as for his overall numbers this season, um, he is averaging, uh, 15.6 points per game. Obviously that's not, uh, he, he's not scoring 15 every night. He's, he's been, uh, there's been quite a bit of variance uh, with his scoring numbers, but the biggest thing to me is the fact that he's shooting 90% from the line. And that's on like 40 attempts, I believe. Um, so he is he has been really, really hitting at the line. Uh, he's shooting 28.6% on threes on 2.1 a game, so does not necessarily have it down from there, but I just think he has proven or, or is at least starting to prove that he's got the touch. Um, th that's something that scouts, or at least like m more casual scouts like myself, look for a lot. Is do you have shooting touch? Even if you're not shooting threes right now, do you show uh, good touch? Just ability to make shots that you know aren't aren't gimmies. Just make a wide variety of shots as well. Make shots in slightly different spots on the floor. Just the ability to sort of calibrate where you are on the court and adjust your shot form. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very difficult talent to quantify and even to describe, but I think when you see it, you know it. And Pashal certainly has it. So whether he's shooting, you know, 38% from three at the end of the year, I doubt it, but I expect him to be a moderately competent three-point shooter throughout his career and I think the the free throw line numbers and just his general touch around the rim and on jump shots sort of bears that out. So I, I think that's enough on him. I've been really impressed by uh, Eric Pichal, and I, I, I'm really excited to see where he slots in once his Warriors team is more recovered. 
I, I have no doubt that he will still be a pretty key part of the rotation. Whether or not the Warriors are ever really back to the point of uh, true contention, who knows. But if they do make it to that point, it'll be very, very interesting to see Pashal as part of that team. Because, I mean, we saw him at Villanova being a very key part of a title team in 17-18. He's got that ability, and he's got the type of game that works well at the higher levels. I mentioned it earlier in the pod with Drew Holiday. There's some guys that they, they just they should be playing in the playoffs. Like they're just Their game is suited for the playoffs. It is suited for high levels of basketball, and it's being wasted not there. So I hope we get to see him in the playoffs soon, even if it's not this year. Hopefully down the line, uh, the Dubs will be back in the playoffs, and he will be there sort of leading them into it. If not leading them in points, then leading them uh, in the locker room. All right, and I'm running way late into the pod, so I think what I'm going to do is just do my three pleasant surprise rookies um, and hold off on the three guys that are disappointing. Maybe do that next next episode. Um, Last guy I want to talk about, though, and I got to be honest, it feels a little bit like cheating because he, he, this guy has not had a breakout performance this season by any means. Um, but I think he's looked good. I think if he was in some other circumstances, he might have even broken out even further. And, and I think um, a lot of people were really impressed by him in Summer League. Um, so I do want to at least talk about him. Plus, you know what? I was going to talk about him either way. Carson Edwards. You already know who it is. Carson Edwards. Carson the Goat Edwards. Uh, So Carson is out of Houston, Texas. Played high school ball at Atascocia. Uh, Hopefully that's how it's pronounced. Um, And was the 88th overall recruit in his class back in 2016. Um, was always a big-time scorer, averaged 24 points a game as a junior, 26 a game as a senior, um, eventually committed to Purdue University, was was at Purdue for three years, uh, came in, and I don't believe he, st- he started um, about half the games as a freshman, uh, averaged about 10 points a game, uh, was, was, was fine, was fine, sort of came into his own the next season, uh, had a 40-point game against Illinois uh, later in February, started most of the games, averaged, I believe, uh, 18 points a game, um, tested the waters of the combine, but didn't get the feedback he was looking for, so decided to come back for his junior year at Purdue, uh, which I think we can all say was probably a great call. His, His efficiency certainly did drop Carson was a rather efficient player his sophomore year, shooting 50% from the field overall and 40% from three. That Those numbers dropped to 44% from the field overall and 35.5% from three, but that was for a pretty clear, <laughs> a pretty clear reason. Um, his sophomore season, he took uh, Carson Edwards took seven shots from two a game, 6.5 shots from three. His senior year, sorry, junior year, up those two-point shots from 7.1 to 9, up his three-point shots from 6.5 to 10.6. So he was taking four more three-point shots along with an extra two two-point shots. So 
no shock at all that his efficiency dipped. Um, worth noting, he was taking 6.1 free throw attempts, hitting 84%. So able to get to the line a decent amount. At the very least, um, enough for how much he was driving into the paint. You know, For a guy with as high a usage as he has, you would certainly hope uh, to see those free throw numbers up. You know, 37.3% usage last year. So, um, yeah, he was... <laughs> uh, certainly a high usage guy, um, but ended up being drafted 33rd overall. There were definitely some who who saw him drafted again in that same 20s range, like Pashal. I think that was more the range for him to go. But the Celtics picked him up uh, with the 33rd overall pick. I think that was one of those ones they got in the Philly trade, um, or one of those trades, maybe. maybe with Atlanta or Phoenix, so many trades uh, regarding Boston's picks in this 2019 draft, but was selected to that Celtics roster. Looked really good in summer league, I thought. Was just hitting shots. And more than that, I think when you watch Edwards, you can just tell, even if he's not hitting his shots, you can see how he's going to hit those shots. Like, it just makes sense. His his shot form looks so good. It's more than that. It's his lower body explosion. Like I, I taught, so I wrote, I've been writing a scouting report for uh, Georgia freshman, Anthony Edwards recently. And I say the same thing about him. He has a, just the same thing as Carson Edwards, where their lower body is so powerful and they're able to just get down and explode up off the ground that their shot, it's all the power is coming from their legs. And you can tell, um, and they have so much of it. Like Carson Edwards in college would launch from 30 plus feet because he could, because his leg strength was so high that he was just sort of catapulting the ball up. Um, and I don't really, I feel like that's not a great phrase to use, catapulting. It sounds, you know, a, a little bit like random chance, but he just has this ability to get up and just sort of fling the ball um, with such such velocity that he can shoot from anywhere out and, and still maintain the same consistent form is the biggest thing, because um, he doesn't have to, try to get power from his arms or from wrists. Um, it, it all comes from his legs. All the power he needs from his legs. Carson Edwards did play football in high school up until I think his junior year. Um, not surprising. I mentioned before, I did a podcast reviewing Carson as a scout a couple of months ago. It was actually my first podcast. I uh, him along with a few other guys. But I, I, I said he reminds me of like a really good small stout running back like he just has these massive calves these big legs he just looks like he would be so effective at, with a, his low center of gravity getting down getting into guys and that's kind of how he succeeds as a basketball player as well um it, it you don't see very many players especially guards that use their strength to create separation but that's what he does um at, at about six foot uh 200 pounds he is able to just get into guys and he also has a uh, around a 6'5 wingspan, so he can get into guys and kind of you know ward off, push with those arms, create separation. Uh, that's really how he created a lot of separation for his three-point shots, the ones that were off the dribble. Um, he, he was just so good about getting into the lane and then sort of you know pushing off the body and creating space. You, you don't expect a guy that small to be able to create such ex explosive force. So he, I think he really catches guys off guard like that. As for his performance this season for the Celtics, 
hasn't been particularly inspiring. Um, unfortunately, he's just not been able to really find the shooting stroke. Um, almost all of his shots have been assisted. He's not really creating much on his own. And the vast majority of his shots are coming from above the break. Um, most of his shots are above the break threes. Edwards has taken 19 threes from above the break, only hit five of them so far. So 26.3%, uh, but I mean, you can just look at those raw numbers. He's just not hit his shots. I mean, Edwards has only had 32 field goal attempts on the year. Uh, 20 of those are from three. He just needs to get into the rhythm of the game. I think watching him in-game, he's looked fine. It's just a matter of sort of a, a guy that's only playing 10 minutes a game coming in as a rookie who had 37% usage last year. It's tough. It's tough to just fit in and uh, start scoring efficiently again. But I have no doubt that he will be able to do it down the line. Uh, the biggest thing for me to continue to watch is whether he can start to piece together uh, the defensive instincts that he's going to need to really succeed in the NBA. Uh, I, 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 I was certainly hoping his defense might look a little better this year, um, given, as I said, the strength, the wingspan, and then just with how much he was used at Purdue last year, you thought maybe he would just have extra energy, extra uh, mental effort to spend on the defensive end. Um, it, it does seem like he doesn't really have those killer defensive instincts though. Um, so that's something I'm going to look for him to work on, especially this year um, under Brad Stevens, when you know he's not going to get a ton of minutes. Uh, if he can shore himself up defensively and then start using that defensive momentum to get his shot off, then I think he could uh, very quickly turn into a reasonable rotation player for a good team like Boston. That's, that's about all I have to say on him. Again, it's been a limited sample so far. I was definitely hoping he would play a little bit more. Um, I think uh, Brad Wanamaker has been in the rotation more than I expected. I think that may have just been a misevaluation on my part, not realizing, first of all, I think Wanamaker's just, you know, a much more solid option at this point. Uh, Edwards is just going to be a lot more risky and, and just, you know, I think Stevens is just more prone to play a guy that was on the team last year, knows what's going on, is experienced. It makes sense. I do hope to see Edwards play more in the future, though. At the very least, hope to have him, you know, have a few breakout games. Um, even if he's only playing 10 minutes a game for most games, if he can just have a few games where he breaks out, you know, scores 20, 25, you know, hits some threes, that'd be good to see. That's, that's all you really want to see from a guy uh, like Edwards at this point, um, I, you know, I just felt like talking about him. There were certainly a couple other guys I probably should have slotted in here, but I'll be all right. I want to talk about Carson Edwards, okay? I'll, I'll talk about Matisse Stiebel next podcast or something. There's been some really good rookies, but, you know, I, I like Carson a lot, and I felt his his, his season so far is worth talking about. So uh, that's about that's about all I've got for y'all, though. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Another long one. It's been a while since I had one of these, but uh, hopefully y'all enjoy. Hopefully it's not too tedious. Um, y'all stay tuned for next week. I'll be back with some good content. Don't exactly know what it is, but it'll be good. Uh, yeah. Y'all know what it is. I'll talk to y'all later. Peace.